0: James, James, Morrison, Morrison, Weatherby, George, Dupree took great care of his mother, though he was only three. James, James, said to his mother, Mother, he said, said he, You must never go down to the end of the town if you don't go down with me. James, James, Morrison's mother put on a golden gown. James James Morrison's mother drove to the end of the town. James James Morrison's mother said to herself, said she, I can get right down to the end of the town and be back in time for tea. King John put up a notice. Lost or stolen or strayed, James James Morrison's mother seems to have been mislaid last seen wandering vaguely, quite of her own accord. She tried to get down to the end of the town, forty shillings reward. James James Morrison's mother hasn't been heard of since. King John said he was sorry. So did the Queen and Prince. King John, somebody told me, said to a man he knew, If people go down to the end of the town, well, what can anyone do? James James Morrison Morrison, commonly known as Jim, told his friends and relations not to go blaming him. James James said to his mother, mother he said, said he, you must never go down to the end of the town without consulting me. That's a poem you may know called Disobedience by the children's author A. A. Milne who was famous for writing Winnie the Pooh. And it's a poem that may ring true if you, like me, are the parent of a three-year-old. Or if you know one well. There's a lot there. There is the frank, unashamed bossiness. The conviction that the world revolves around oneself. And there's the wish fulfillment in this poem of a role reversal. To be, although small, the one who makes the rules. To tell the parrot what to do. To set the boundaries. To be the grown up who tells others instead of being told. Today on this first Sunday in Lent, we hear scripture readings about obedience and disobedience, about the longing to be in charge, about immaturity and maturity. We heard the great foundational story of Adam and Eve in the garden, tempted by a wily serpent to go beyond the boundaries that have been set for them. And the simultaneous widening of horizons and loss of innocence that comes with their decision to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We are not supposed to read this story as a history or science textbook. It is not supposed to compete with the Big Bang or evolutionary biology. This is a story about human nature, about each of us, and about all of us. About our longing to exist without limitations. To define our own reality. In fact, to be God. And about our willingness to break relationship in order to try. But it can be hard to tease apart that genuinely sinful longing to be God. From the genuinely holy longing to be more than we are. To grow up, to expand our horizons, and to become mature human beings. Which is in fact what God does want for us. The story doesn't say so, but in my own playful reading, I like to imagine that God intended to keep Eve and Adam from that tree, not forever, but until they were ready for it. Until the knowledge of good and evil would benefit them rather than do them harm. You may have your own ways of playing with this story because a good scripture story is sturdy enough to turn around and look at from all angles. But in any case, these newly created humans choose not the hard path of going back and negotiating with God, or asking for permission, or telling him they're going to do it anyway, but rather than conversation and communication and negotiation and relationship, they choose the shortcut of breaking faith, of acting in secrecy, of telling lies which is, after all, a good test for whether what we're doing is good for us or not. Does it lead us towards transparency or secrecy? Towards courage or towards shame? Towards honesty or lies? Eve and Adam choose the lie as we, their spiritual descendants, so often do throughout the centuries. But there are other choices. Today we heard St. Paul contrast the faithlessness of Adam and Eve with the faithfulness of Jesus. Where they failed, Jesus succeeds. Instead of grasping at the desire to shrug off human limitations or to be God, Jesus, who already is God, chooses instead to fully take on our humanity, our limitations, our frailty. As Paul writes, in another place, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to cling on to, but he made himself of no reputation and was found in the form of a servant, in human form. And being found in human form, he humbled himself even further, and his obedience took him all the way to death, even a death like that of the cross. We see in Jesus that faithfulness, that obedience at work here in our gospel story from the beginning of his ministry, just after he has been baptized. The spirit has led him out into the wilderness. He's not in a garden, but in a desert. But like Eve and Adam, he is tempted by a wily tempter. And unlike them, he stands firm. Three times the devil invites him to shrug off the limitations of being human. He invites him to shrug off the limitations of hunger. Of the suffering of this physical body in the natural world. He invites him to shrug off the limitations of danger to create a spectacle by hurling himself from the temple confident in the knowledge of God's mystical protection. Now, finally, he invites him to what is in fact Jesus's real destiny, to be the ruler of the world, rightly acknowledged and acclaimed by all, but to do it as a shortcut to do it without following the path that God has laid out for him, a path of service, a path of truth-telling. Satan invites Jesus to achieve his destiny the quick way, by breaking faith with God. And Jesus withstands. Now it is Lent, and it's a time for spiritual exertions And so it's tempting to end this sermon by saying, go and do likewise. Get out there and be like Jesus, not like Adam and Eve. Go and resist temptation. But the reality is that most of us can't, at least not most of the time. Get out there and be like Jesus is not the gospel, because it's not good news it leaves us stuck relying on our own efforts, which basically means trying to be our own God, which is actually the problem in the first place. The good news is not that Jesus wants you to try harder, and if you manage to be just like him, then you will finally be lovable in God's eyes. The good news is that Jesus has done for you what you and I can't do on our own, It's his obedience we trust in, not ours. God accepts us, not because we are so strong and faithful and well-behaved, but because God made us and is crazy about us. And because Jesus can make us into new human beings, not out of our own worthiness, but out of his, of which he has more than enough to share. yes there is such a thing as making spiritual progress yes there is such a thing as growth in Christian maturity as getting stronger at telling the truth and showing compassion and loving our neighbors and Lent is supposed to be a time for those things but they're the fruits of being loved by God not the requirement for it so this Lent Don't work harder to make God love you. Lean on what Jesus has done for you already, which is everything that needs to or could be done. Give thanks to him, love him in return, and then see what fruits he can bring forth in your life.